the DJ start. Uh, welcome everyone to the Etch Podcast. Today I'm talking to Daniel Stillman, who is an excellent facilitator, designer, and strategist who I first met last year at Google SprintCon and was amazed by his <laughs> just amazed by some of the uh, ways that he facilitated and some of the uh, some of the breadth of design expertise that he has within a uh, facilitation workshop and compelled by that and some of the conversations we've had recently uh, we are bringing Daniel to London uh, in May we'll talk more about that later on but first, I just wanted to say welcome, Daniel. Welcome to the Etch podcast. I am really excited to be here, Ross. It um, it's like a real pleasure. When when we when we met in at the SprintCon, like I um, you, it's really I feel like do you know that there's a saying in uh, like Fight Club where like you don't really know somebody until you've like been in, like fought with them or fought them. I feel like when you're in a workshop with someone, you get to see what somebody is really like. You know, some people, when they're pushed to their edge, like they start to crumble a little bit at the corners <laughs> and other people just shine and glow. And you're somebody who like, you have a really amazing energy that comes out in the, in uh, equally in the stressful space of, of a workshop as, as, as also on podcasts. That's awesome, man. And, and there were, there were quite a few characters in our workshop, weren't there? I mean, let, uh, there let, were, let, uh, let's talk about that to, to start with before we, we kind of delve in a bit deeper into designing conversations. I mean, we were together in one room. Did you know who would turn up? And did you know that, you know, were there some troublemakers early on that you could sniff out? No, I didn't even know how many people we were going to have. So um, Kai, um, first of all, like we have to give a shout out to Kai who like has done so much to make the conference happen for two years and yes. to bring like this community together. She's the head of design relations uh, at Google and the Sprint Master Academy. And when like Kai asked you to come and do a workshop, like you're like, okay. Like, and then when we call it advanced facilitation, I'm like, that makes me a little nervous. I'm going to teach a bunch of facilitators facilitation, but it's one of my real pleasures because it's, it's like getting people to think about the thing that matters the most to them. So in, in a way, facilitating facilitators is easy because everyone's technically brought into the concept. <laughs> But yeah, the, the morning of, she's like, so we have like three people on the wait list. Like, do you mind going to 26? At 26, it becomes like theater. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, you know, there was like five groups and the check, like getting people to share out what they're learning. You know, you got to be really, really fast. I prefer to do it with like 10 people, <laughs> 15 people. Like, so it's a little more intimate, but I feel like everybody was so um, interesting and and uh, it's it's to me like getting everybody's perspectives on this thing that we do is so valuable and 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 it's really energizing yeah. for me. It, it was incredible. So for for anyone who who wanted to know it. It was the Google SprintCon, which is, a, uh, I don't say lightly, a kind of invitation-only um, convention. And uh, Daniel was there kind of leading a group uh, in, in, in a fantastic way. It wasn't innovation theatre. Don't worry, Daniel. It was, <laughs> totally you. wasn't. Uh, I mean, my head spun out of all the different methods and activities that we were learning. And 
pretty much a, a facilitator from nearly each part of the world was in that room and yeah. uh, it was just fantastic to kind of sit next to them have the kind of in-between chats and uh, and one thing I learned definitely uh, have used since is when you put your finger up and, and you say anyone that can see or hear me put, put your <laughs> put your hand up and you know that that's how, how I get people to just stop what they're doing <laughs> time is getting on and yeah and move the conversation forward but uh yeah it was fantastic and now we've been able to to bring you to london in may uh and we'll we'll talk more about that but daniel where where did this start i mean what 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 has led you to running these facilitation workshops for probably your trickiest client already facilitating i mean how how do you ex- excel yeah. in this situation <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it started in a way like I worked in design. I I got a master's in industrial design. And when I got into doing design in a a consultancy context, watch out for that cable dropping. um, I I realized just like how hard it is to, to just herd the cats. Of, of, you know, all of the clients and all of the different stakeholders. And they don't really teach you that in design school. And so I think I became very interested in the workshop art form, I guess. And I started teaching design thinking to non-designers a long time ago because I realized, like, we all needed a shared language to be able to collaborate. Um, and I And I think I was like a little magpie with facilitation, just sort of like stealing little set pieces from other people and seeing how other people did what they did and and modeling presence like trying to understand you know like that sort of like clap once if you can hear me like i first saw my friend abby covert do that at a with for a room of maybe a hundred people at the ia summit in new orleans in like 20 i don't know 11 or something she's awesome facilitator yeah and seeing her just like this little diminutive person command that whole room i was like oh my god crowd control like and so for me i think it just comes from an interest in it but then also now i have this feeling of understanding how hard it is to be this little like gardener or like you know how bees go out and just collect the pollen and try to make honey (laughs) from it like i feel like every facilitator like has you know you know, reads little bits and you look at somebody's article on Medium and you're like, that's interesting. But it's really hard Mm. to practice something that you've never seen done before. And so when I had, I had a design thinking training company and at one point um, I decided to teach facilitation because I realized that's such, it's, it's an important skill. And so in a way, teaching it to people who've never done it before is sort of fun and energizing. Um, but teaching it to people who are who are skilled and want to like deepen their practice, who are learners by their nature, who care about human development by their nature, like it's just a completely different experience. And both are fun, but it's really, really um, energizing to be able to do that for people who really care about the thing. Mm. Like, so that's like, it, it, I just think it matters. You know, we, we, meetings generally suck, you know, work is complicated and it is the job of, it, it, it needs to be somebody's job to, to herd those cats and facilitators are the people who care 
about it going smoothly. And if you want to go way back, I think it comes back to like, you know, how was I in my family system? You know, hey, mom and dad, like, can we all settle down? Like just wanting there to be peace and quiet and, and reasonable conversation like in my in my life. So I think it's like just also comes from like my values. Mm. And the, the thing is, you can't do design and and you're going to hit a lot of brick walls if if design doesn't stir people or they understand the language that you're using for design. I mean, design falls on its face if people don't understand the the context of where what we're designing within. Uh, I don't even understand what this UX thing is you're talking about, yeah. or you know, why do we have to tell our customers to try this thing? I mean, doesn't that look like we're we're not confident with what we're doing? And yeah. that this this is something that I am so interested in in now in my my age of life is it's not so much the design, it's the communication of it or getting people to work better together, which I know is something that facilitators do. And that that's something that I'm keen on because we're, we're people people, you know, we have to yeah. work with people. And no one really knows how to do that. And <laughs> in place of that, they book in a load of meetings. You can color yeah. code them in your calendar, but they're still taking the time away from what you should be doing. And yeah. um, I, I yeah, like so that. I'm going to say something about that because like an agenda is not a meeting. Oh, right. Like, so a series of bullet points of things we need to discuss is, you know, great. Like, and maybe we do, but if each bullet point doesn't lead or build to the next bullet point, and at the end of all those bullet points, there isn't the thing that we need to do or the, or the next action, like what, the, what are you doing? And so in a way, like coming from experience design, I had this realization one day that like, do you, are you familiar with the five E's of experience design? Yes, but uh, don't it, ask me to recite them, please. Yeah. Okay. So it's like my catechism. <laughs> it's like on little beads on my arm. Um, entice, enter, engage, exit, and extend. It's like this sort of very, very basic funnel. I think it was pioneered by the Doblin group in the early 2000s or maybe earlier. And I think at some point I realized that a workshop was an experience and that the five E's of experience design applied to the workshop experience as much as to the experience of a product or any service. Like the service I'm providing as a facilitator is to entice people to enter and engage with the process. And it's my job to manage how they exit that process and how I'm going to extend the impact mm. of that conversation. And so just like thinking about that little wave of, the, of experience and that it's my job to shape it. Like, I think that just sort of flipped a switch for me of like, well, wait, I can teach somebody about experience design when they're designing an app. Like, so I should be able to give people this mental model and then they should be able to make better workshops done and dusted. Right. Um, you know, obviously the detailed work is hard, like treating each moment in the workshop like a little arc of experience to be built takes energy and time and effort. And that's like you know, micro sprints inside of the sprints, you know, when your agenda turns into like five minute intervals on a spreadsheet where everything stacks up. That's, that's, 
<laughs> I think that's the gold standard. But then, like, on the flip side is, like, just being there in the moment and feeling what's happening in the room and knowing what needs to happen next. Like, those are, like, the these two very different sides. Like, shaping the experience before you get in the room and then getting into the room and being like, oh, wait, something different needs to happen and I need to throw something. Oh, totally. I mean, the, the upfront agendas and they, they, they kind of go out of date the minute they're shared uh, because you start that meeting or you start that that workshop and actually the, the the skill of someone leading that needs to expose the elephants in the room or yeah. you know are we actually talking about the right thing here and it, it, you know this kind of any other business thing the, the 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 reason for having a meeting is to bring a bunch of people together because it can't be solved in other ways. And you just have to physically grab people into the same <laughs> space to, to shoot this out. But the, the generation of meetings is, is just, just crazy. Uh, one, one thing you, you said there was the, this kind of arcing of, of, of stories and, and conversations. It, could you define what, what designing conversation is for, for any of the, the people that are listening to this and say, this is something I haven't heard before. What is yeah. it? What, what sh- should I know about this thing? Yeah, I'm, so I did some work with uh, a consulting group in Australia in uh, late 2015, and they called their facilitation practice conversation design. And at first, it struck me as douchey. Like I was like, I was like, come on. First of all, you're not designers. I'm a designer. And second of all, I was like, what is that? You you don't know, man. (laughs) You don't know what I'm, what I go through. (laughs) Setting is hard work. But it really started to flip a switch in my brain where I, because sometimes people have this attitude towards facilitation. And this has happened to me before where people say like, we have an agenda already. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you come and facilitate us because the CEO wants to be in the meeting? He's designed the agenda. Can you just, but he wants to be a participant. So can you just, can you just facilitate this agenda we have? And I'm like, no, I can't. I need to be part of the creation of the agenda. It's not like you've handed me Hamlet and you're just saying, can you please go be Hamlet? Like I can read Shakespeare and it's my job to like, you know, enact Hamlet, but I can't just like read somebody's script and facilitate it. Um, it's a, there's a, it's a design process. I need to understand where the group is and where they want to be and all the different stakeholder goals. And I need to design an arc that's going to get them there. That's a design process. Mm. And so in a way, this idea that a conversation that this group was having could be designed and I would change the course of their conversation afterwards. That, that in a way, like their, their, the, the trajectory of the conversation inside the organization would, would be altered as a result of that conversation. Just really got me on this track. Um, I started my own podcast, The Conversation Factory, to interview people about what conversations they designed just to explore this topic because I found it so weird and it itched my brain. So, and in a way, like what I discovered is that a conversation, what people normally think of a, of a conversation like one on one, has some features that there are ways to describe the process of two people coming together and co-creating meaning and agreements together. And those principles can be applied to larger conversations like multi-person dialogue. 
And it's also really clear why two people is a complex thing. Three people is a multi-person conversation where two people can be talking and a third person can be excluded. When there's four people, you can actually have like four times three times two sub-conversations. When you have five people, six people, seven people, when you have a 12-person group and we're supposed to talk about something, it turns into just an absolute mess. Mm -hmm. And it was really helpful for me to start to understand why. People ask me this all the time when you're teaching facilitation, like, oh, why did you divide us into four groups instead of three? Or why did you divide us into groups at all? You know, why not just, I'm like, well, it takes energy to hold this group of 12. And if by dividing you up into pairs, I I suddenly have nothing to do, right? Because you're just, you're good. Um, and when I divide you up into four groups and bring you back, it, it, it provides you, – you feel – you know that energy. I can see you smiling. Like there's this energy and ebb and flow of a group conversation that like it's a thing. And it's the same as the conversation between two people where it can get intense, it can get boring, it can die down. And so to me, like now three years into this journey, like I'm like – I feel like I'm, I'm like uh, – you know, uh, like a f- I'm having a fever dream because it's like it matters to me. I care about it. I want other people to see it and it to matter to them because I think it is weird. But like an app is a is an interface for a conversation between uh, a company and a person or between two people. Like we're using Zoom as our interface for our conversation. Um, we sometimes use sticky notes as the interface for our conversation. And it just makes the conversations cohere better. Mm. Like there's a reason why people love Mural uh, because you, you, know, you can go onto a digital whiteboard tool and you can take a conversation that honestly can become pretty uh, sloppy or diffuse. As soon as you're all looking at the same thing, you have a third point in the conversation and the conversation can hold together better. Um, these are things that like practitioners just do naturally and normally. There's not a lot to, in one way, you're like, big deal. But in a way for me, like I love knowing that every conversation has an interface and that I can change the conversation by changing the interface if I so, if I need to. Yeah. Uh, it, it's things like uh, if if in, in, in that case of turning up to lead the kind of pre-prepared thing, they would not include the things that we know get people working their best. So yeah. it's not just 100% work. You need icebreakers and you need uh, ways to energize and, and kind of mm-hmm. uh, get in the zone and, 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 and start well. And no agenda ever has time for that, that you just get lifted and shifted <laughs> no. over for that. Uh, and I, I know through some of the few workshops that I've done, some people will say, do, do we need to do this? You know, do, do, I know we're, we're trusting you to lead the group, but are you sure we need to spend 15 minutes on getting to know each other? And uh, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you haven't worked together before. I haven't worked with you. I need to understand how I can best uh, bring the team together uh, because some of the, the workshops and, you know, you would have found this too, is that they can be hard work. It's not not a fun pleasure ride. I mean, the, every decision, every activity takes effort. And yeah, you, brain power. Exactly. And you need to be your as, as best self as possible coming into it, which means you might need to do some of these activities. And, and one of the things that 
I loved about your uh, workshop is we were doing an activity and uh, I think it was the, the five E's or a double diamond or, or some part of that scenario. And there was a moment where you stopped, you looked around and you said, hold up a minute. When was the last time you checked your breath? <laughs> or you took a breath, not, not check your breath and take some chewing gum. But when did you last notice your breath? And you got everyone to stop, kind of close their eyes and take a kind of breathing exercise. And it was awesome. It was so good. And I am trying to put that into the workshops I do because you could say it's it's mindfulness or it's, it's mm -hmm. wellness but actually I just really enjoyed it and it was I think probably the middle of the afternoon and that was a time where we really needed it as well yeah and, and I think <clears throat> the ability to feel what you're feeling and know is what I'm feeling what the room is feeling um there's a body of work uh thinks about this it's about somatic experiencing like when you feel sad like where do i feel sad um when i feel happy where do i feel happy and when i teach people the divergent and convergent thinking in a in an interactive game i i, I at one point when i started to encounter this somatic experiencing work i when people said like they start feeling tense i'm like where do you feel that tension because i think a facilitator like we go in with ourselves. Like, that's it. Like, your body and your, your emotions, your intellect, like, that's your instrument. And at some point in that meeting, I felt like, okay, there's a lot going on in here. And I think a facilitator needs to be able to, like, know what is going on and manage their own experience and separate it from the experience that the group is having. But also sometimes say, like, hey, everybody, like, <clears throat> would it be good if we blanked? And I, I talk to people where they're like, oh, I can never do that. Like, and so it's, there's a risk. There's a risk involved with saying everyone, okay, let's do something goofy and silly now. I know there's facilitators. Jake Knapp is one of them. He doesn't like icebreakers. He doesn't like- Oh, he hates um, them. God. Yeah. And, and then, you know what? That's cool, good for him. Yeah. For other people, I teach people the concepts through games. And I use the games to get their brains, you know, warmed up and, and opened up. But he's also working with very, very small, intact teams uh, from like an, like a, an early stage startup. And I think he designed the sprint and that book was written with those groups in mind. And if that's the case, I think I can understand completely why he's resistant to them. When you're doing like a 20 person, four team sprint that's like a little more like like theatrical you need to bring some energy into the room mm -hmm. like when it's when it's a group of people who maybe don't know each other when you're bringing a diverse group of people to help a client solve a problem you have to do some of that stuff yeah and and it's i think the essence of a, a great facilitator is not just going through the material you know going through the thing that you had prepared or or something that you've had a few reps of it is bringing your, your whole self in, into that room. And it's also, it's, it's things like having a good night's sleep beforehand. 
I mean, if if you're oh just God, yes. hanging <laughs> off that caffeine hit and you're still drinking caffeine, like going into three o'clock in the afternoon, I mean, yeah, th- there is going to be a bit of theatre. People better watch out. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, the, the, the health and, and the the kind of state of the facilitator can make or break certain yeah workshops. and the food we've talked oh, about this on the slack food. channel right <laughs> for those of you who can't see ross is like literally rolling his head in agony it's I, all about I've, the food i can't tell you it's all about the food i can't tell you how many workshops i've done where the client brings in pizza and i'm like you're killing me here you're, mm. you're killing me yeah <laughs> how do you expect these people to be effective after they've had two slices of pizza one of my early design sprints I did with uh, another agency, and they said, "Well, of course we're going to the pub for lunch for a, you know an hour and a half." And I'm like, "No, you're not. <laughs> like, just two beers and some chips. Yeah. Like it'll be fine." My my rate just went double. I mean, no, you're not. <laughs> what uh, What are your favorite afternoon snacks to give to people? Uh, we should talk about. I think this is the most important takeaway that we could give to anybody listening to this. So important. So I know some people have suggested nuts and things to pick at. The problem I have with nuts is that people have really severe allergies to them sometimes. <laughs> oh God, that's right. And uh, I I can't I can't. You know, there, there can't be a, a death count in my workshops. Uh, so I usually head to either dark chocolate and yep. the thing is some of the feedback I get is, yeah, that's great, but I also like milk chocolate. I'm like, no, you need to understand why I've gone this way. Uh, milk chocolate isn't as good as dark chocolate. That's the main reason why. But well, but it, yeah. dark chocolate is food. Like yes. it is nutritious. It's got like chemicals in it that are good for your brain. Yeah, uh, but I've tried um, dried cranberries. I've tried. Uh, you can get kind of little um, uh, vitamin like um, balls that that are kind of made without nuts. Oh, those little like uh, yeah, little energy bu- balls. Yeah, yeah. So they've been good. Um, and those kind of things. A, a fruit bowl always available. You know, someone will pick up a banana or an apple because it's right there. I mean, yeah. Uh, the thing that I do find with people that are starting workshops or uh, are trying to make a work uh, a meeting or a workshop more fun is they bring on the sugar. So they, they have like Smarties, they have all the kind yeah. of multicolored chocolate there. And initially it sounds great, but now we're in and you're like, whoa, this is a big mistake. People are physically sweating over this stuff. <laughs> I agree. So one of my one of my good friends, um, Michael Margolis, he's a he's a, a narrative uh, coach. He, he helps companies develop their their narrative approaches. He brings in like pounds of very very rare dark chocolate. Like this is mm. his thing. He turns it into like a really special moment where he brings in like it's a single it's single it's like bean to bar. It's from you know one particular location. And I definitely have taken his his tip with that. Where like I try to bring in something a little bit special, oh, yeah. a little bit more like just to, to make it like a little moment of like relaxing your brain and being like oh wow this is oh it's fruity like let's have a little chocolate tasting mm. it's absolutely genius um and, you know and like all of this is in service of the fact that you know we getting people together is work getting people's time is hard and the reason they're paying people like you or me to facilitate them is that like if you add up all the salaries in the room there's a lot on the line oh. and we need to be able to deliver on some solid business value for them at the end of it that like 
what did we get out of this day? It's not just a bunch of high fives, ice, you know, improv and chocolate. It's so that like at three o'clock when people are hitting a wall, Mm. they can we can still get the next hour and a half of good work out of them and make sure that we end the day where we need to get to. One of the things I realized, like the in an accelerated work environment, the op- the close, each activity closes and you rely on it to get to the next activities open. So like the whole point of the sprint is if you don't finish the map, right, you can't find a target. If you mm. don't choose a good target, your prototype is going to be all over the place. And if you don't finish your prototype, you have nothing to show to your customers when they're coming in. Like, and that arc just requires the, you know, you to push it forward. Yeah. Right? Y- you need that closure. Uh, Whether it's high fives or chocolate, like whatever it is, like it doesn't matter. I'm not too scientific about it. I have started experimenting with wine tasting at the end. So you know, totally. you got to finish in, in a really nice way. And I, I just like to reward people saying, you, you took a chance on this way of working. Uh, we got some great stuff out of you. Uh, thank you for trusting the process because that's what we're asking really it is you know you have to go through this this uh, these hoops and it will be fine because we've done this a few times but there there's no problem with having a bit of social at the end i mean you know let's reflect oh, and and that that's something i i took again from your workshops is reflect and and in the next day come in and say yeah. did, did anyone have anything they wanted to bring or anything to share and that that's so important because you are humanizing what can be quite a a hard place to to actually create and and work in and yeah but yeah, i find that facilitators like it can be scary to open up those conversations um and i think one of the things i try to remember is that like i'm here for them and this is like if it's a hot conversation that's cool like i'm okay with that and i can hold space for that it's important. It's not always easy to get the negative feedback from people, but I try to, when I'm running a multi-day workshop, I'll often have like, tell me what you liked, tell me something that you wished we had done that we didn't do and something you're excited about, you know, coming up. And it's not always easy when somebody says like, I wish we had not spent so much time on blank or I wish you had whatever. Um, you can feel that, but it's like you have to get the feedback. Like otherwise, what? there's no way to make it better. Oh, feedback loops are so important. I mean, one, one of my kind of key beliefs is I want to try and be as relevant as possible. And that means hearing the tough feedback and doing something with that. And every time experimenting with the format i mean initially some of the workshops i would run uh the feedback that i got was yeah it was great but we kind of sat listening to you in lecture style for an hour and a half and i'm like okay right bring a warm-up closer to the beginning or or do something where they get to move around or something um yeah but we'll find out loads of things to do to kind of bring mindful approaches to group work in your upcoming advanced facilitation masterclass, Daniel. Did you see? <laughs> that was a very, very smooth transition. <laughs> did you see how I went there? <laughs> I did. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Uh, so, what what can what can people expect when? Well, well, first of all, why are you doing more workshops on advanced facilitation? Well, I mean, dude, seriously, like, I think it matters. Like, when I started out, I felt pretty isolated as a facilitator. You know, like 
picking, you know, just sort of finding the picks, you, the bits you can. I, I think there's a lot more online now than there was when I started, but I still think um, connecting with other facilitators is really powerful. So the, I mean, for me, honestly, the workshop is just as much about creating community and connection as it is like, I'm not transmitting a perfect set of design principles to people. And, and I'll tell you like the big difference, like God bless them. There was a group that taught a workshop on difficult people at the, at the um, sprint con. And I think they taught a framework about difficult people that seemed like it was really good and based on some neuroscience and research and stuff like that. I believe that people learn um, in through conversation. And I don't know if you saw the document that I, I sent out where I basically, st- I do an, an exercise where people talk about difficult people with, uh, with other facilitators, the types that they have, uh, and then strategies to work with them. Mm. And what I find is that every team comes up with a new framework. So like, this is the meta aspect of the workshop. We're, we're talking about difficult people and designing our own frameworks to deal with them while I'm teaching people about visual synthesis, <laughs> which is something that like every facilitator needs to have a very, very clear arc in their head about how to get a group to create meaning together. Um, affinity clustering is one of these things that everybody's seen and done, but there's like... Oh, there's if you roll the tape really slowly, you can see what's happening, and then you can push people much, much further if you know how to how to guide them there. So we're we're doing that visual synthesis process while talking about difficult people. I stacked up all the models from the last like four or five times I've I've done this workshop. I've done it a couple of times at Google, a couple of times in the public, um, and a couple of times in in some other organizations. When you stack all up stack up all of the difficult people frameworks it's like my head explodes <laughs> and i'm like it doesn't matter the framework doesn't matter it's up to each facilitator to have their own mental model and their own phrases that they use when they're confronted with with challenging individuals and i'll tell you this one group um many maybe about two years ago talked about uh rather than identifying difficult people they talked they they structured people by unmet needs oh right which is like this very like psychology based approach of of like okay so the person who's over talking what's their unmet unmet need Mm. it's 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 recognition so how do we give them recognition in a way that makes them feel secure and it's like that is some judo Mm. that is some real judo and so to me those conversations can only happen in the room and having them with other facilitators is so valuable um and it it gives you know the ideas for people to leave with like new mindsets some new skills um and then to go off and make the world a better place like that's the (laughs) like then fix the world (laughs) fix it bad decisions are happening everywhere horrible meetings are occurring every day like go fix the world so that's that's really what it's about healing the world yeah i i had a a question on linkedin the other day uh i think uh, someone was a a ux designer or uh doing doing some work in in prototyping then they said i don't really understand what facilitation means and you know to some it is a bit of a kind of box that hasn't been opened but we're talking about leading a group of people uh, not necessarily having all the answers, uh, yeah. but, but having these kind of tools in the toolbox that you can just take them out and, and go forth. 
Yeah, and so this is, just to be really clear, this is for people who lead anything. This is not just for, like, people who've come to this are brand strategists, they're executives. Um, I think it's not just about this, 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 a sprint. One of the things I love that came up in the Sprint Con two years ago is this idea of the micro sprint. We're talking about just, like, how to design a one-hour meeting or a two-hour session so that you deliver on what you need. Like, that is something that everybody has to deal with. Mm. Like, literally everybody. And there's so much everybody could do to be making it, it better, in my, in my humble imho, as my friend likes to say. <laughs> Amazing. And... Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for people to come uh, because, you Me know, too. I certainly got something out of it. Uh, and I think more people are going to as well. So yeah. uh, aside from, you know, people coming to see the, the master run the masterclass, what else is uh, Daniel Pusha. doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, because here's the thing, like, so I was I did a talk uh, at the beginning of this year and they were like, we're, I'd like to introduce conversation expert Daniel Stillman. And I'm like, whoa, please. <laughs> I'm not ready Can we for that. nip that in the bud? <laughs> like, because people are like, oh, I feel so nervous having a conversation with you because you're a conversation designer. Are you designing this conversation right now? And I'm like, I'm trying my best not to, but that's still a design. Mm. Like, like not designing it as a choice. I mean, I'm working on my, I'm working on a book about how conversations work. Um, and it's, it's, tying together all the interviews from the podcast from the last couple of years and all the research. It is hard. It is, it is an enjoyably difficult process to turn uh, a sketch into something that is good. And I'm learning to write shorter sentences all the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm a very conversational person. And so it's like, but however, therefore like, and like lots of commas, lots of ellipses, way too many exclamation points. Yeah. Um, somebody told me that Ernest Hemingway said that, putting a, an exclamation point in your writing is like laughing at your own joke. <laughs> and um, and she said, you're allowed one exclamation point in your entire book. And I was like, what? That's so hard. I feel like, oh, it was tough. <laughs> it was, it's tough. So I'm learning a lot about all this stuff. I feel like half the interviews I'm doing for my upcoming season are for people who are writing books and half of my questions are going to be like, tell me about how to write a better book. Yeah. Because I need to know. Because <laughs> I need to know. This is for this is personal question. How did you write a good book? Uh, start at the beginning and don't leave anything out. Like, so and I'm recording this for later. <laughs> yeah, and I'm recording this and broadcasting it for everyone. So, like, that's the thing I'm working on. And and it's because I, I like to teach, because I love to share what I love. Um, but writing a book is like teaching in a very very different way because you, you have to think about like how is somebody going to be using this book are they going to flip through it are they going to read it all in one go um so it's 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 a really interesting it's a different way of you know when you're teaching in a room you have direct feedback from people which i rely on i did a web my first webinar like last year and i was i hated it i hated it because i was like i was literally just talking to air <laughs> 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 and then you're like, and then you try to get people to use like the chat window or something. And it's like, it feels like having a conversation through a very narrow tube, mm -hmm. which it is. It's like, it's very, it's, it's the, the bandwidth isn't there. Like we have facial expressions. I can read your responses from your replies. Like I think 
I need that in my in my communication. So it's like doing a book means like right now I'm I'm getting feedback on the first half from people like because you need to treat it like any other product like put it out before you feel ready do an MVP get early feedback and like iterate and test yeah. and it's just like any other product when you get negative feedback from somebody it makes you really uncomfortable a little angry and incredibly resistant to doing anything about it. Um, <laughs> And like you just watch all of those emo- right like all of those emotions happen you're like why don't the users like it they're dumb yeah. that, so that <laughs> that that must be so tricky I mean I have no desire to write a book right now yet like I I would not know how to start I can read books I like reading <laughs> books that's good that, that's a good start but, but forming that 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 like embodiment of of what you want to communicate in in a one hit knowing that you can't Mm. really like in facilitation you you can be a dj and read the room and and change things you can't do that in a book it's there it's done uh it's a success or it's a failure (laughs) true just just telling you that yeah one day you may feel like there's a book in that that you want to see in the world that doesn't exist and when it does when you feel that i will i will read it oh, thanks daniel when you <laughs> <laughs> it might be about a completely different subject you you don't know what you've just signed up to <laughs> yeah if, is it about djing you use a lot of djing analogies do you dj no uh oh, okay <laughs> it, it's it's one of those things that i use when when doing facilitation is that i i like to think i run the room like a dj so i i listen to what's going on and i i change the direction if it needs to if the if the crowd is not loving it then you need to kind of like you did stop listen to to your breath and and do something about it rather than keep on going keep on pushing the agenda like let's try and keep on track you got to read the room yeah yeah awesome uh daniel it's been so great to kind of catch up talk about uh what you're working on can't wait to welcome you into to london uh where where can people find you i mean obviously you have yeah. a great podcast with many different episodes with i can see alison coward on here i can see uh jim i could see lots of different people from our community do you know alice do you know alice i i linked up with her on on twitter just last week actually and she's really lovely yeah sounds great um, yeah, I mean, I, Kai was a great person. Basically, a podcast is, as you know, an excuse to have conversations with people you want to talk to. Oh. And um, so, yeah, the Conversation Factory is is a place to check that out. And it's also where I have, like, downloads and learning resources and stuff. Like, I love making one-pagers for things, um, things that I wished I had had years ago. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. That's a place to find me. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, it's D.A. Stillman. Awesome, and with a little at sign between. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put the at sign. We 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 yeah, miss that uh, nowadays. It's like I I am doing this at at something, and yeah, it, it sometimes <laughs> doesn't flow. Um, but we love it. Daniel is doing his advanced facilitation masterclass on the 10th of May in London. Uh, we can't wait to have you there, and uh, tickets are on sale now. So. Uh, <laughs> Do you see that? This, this really turned into a, into a real a real infomercial. I, I love uh, it. This yeah. is good. I mean, I'm trying to. I've had feedback that I've got a silky voice, and I'm trying to now turn it on you its do. head and go bye bye bye. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we definitely want people to yeah. come. No question yeah. about it. Uh, I'd love to see all of your smiling faces in London. Yeah, 
So uh, fantastic. Looking forward to that. And Daniel, thank you so much for kind of sharing and having a conversation with me on, you know, what is going on and where some of these kind of activities come from for you. Thanks, man. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the stuff that I think matters most. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, Ross.